0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 9 through 10. In the previous episode, we were chapters 7 to 8. And to be honest, it was more of a reflection on Leo's character and his development because in the span of two chapters in the beginning, Leo was kind of feeling upset, you know, seeing how Annabeth and Percy and Piper and Jason were, you know, and Hazel and Frank, seeing all of these couples around him, made him kind of feel a little, should I say, lovesick, you know, he was kind of missing out, and kind of feeling like a seventh wheel, as I'd like to directly quote from Leo, and he was kind of missing out on, and even wondering to himself, was he being loved, and I think he got his answer in the last chapter, when They were able to meet Echo. Echo was this nymph who had been cursed uh, by Hera to repeat the words of whatever Echo hears. And due to that curse, um, Leo also finds out about Narcissus, who is very obsessed with his own reflection, but nevertheless all of the nymphs are still after him because of his insane beauty and so is echo but throughout that whole thing leo developed a deeper connection with echo and even though echo was still in love with Narcissus, it still provided a good lesson for leo that he doesn't need he 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 can be whoever he wants to be and everybody will love him for that you know because him being himself is the best thing that anyone can be and i think leo's meeting with echo really made him realize that and also gave a fair lesson to everyone else you know to love who uh, who no matter who you are or your personality you should always love yourself because that's the best quality about you. So that was a great way to end off the last episode. And now we're going to continue on with their journey as we read chapter 9 through 10, this time from Piper's perspective. So chapter 9, Piper. Piper didn't want to use the knife, but sitting in Jason's cabin waiting for him to wake up, she felt alone and helpless. Jason's face was so pale he might have been dead. She remembered the awful sound of that brick hitting his forehead. An injury that had happened only because he'd tried to shield her from the Romans. Even with the nectar and ambrosia they'd managed to force feed him, Piper couldn't be sure he would be okay when he woke up. What if he'd lost his memories again? But this time, his memories of her. That would be the cruelest trick the gods had played on her yet, and they'd played some cruel tricks. She'd heard Gleason Hedge in his room next door, humming a military song, Stars and Stripes Forever, maybe? Since the satellite TV was out, the satyr was probably sitting on his bunk reading back issues of Guns and Ammo magazine. He wasn't a bad chaperone, but he was definitely the most warlike old goat Piper had ever met. Of course, she was great, grateful to the Seder. He had helped her dad, movie actor Tristan McLean, get back on his feet after being kidnapped by giants the past winter. A few weeks ago, Hedge had asked his girlfriend, Melly to take charge of the McLean household so he could come along to help with this quest. Coach Hedge had tried to make it sound like returning to Camp Half-Blood had been all his idea, but Piper suspected there was more to it. The last few weeks, whenever Piper called home, her dad and Melly had asked her what was wrong. Maybe something in her voice had tipped them off. Piper couldn't share the the visions she'd seen. They were too disturbing. Besides, her dad had taken a potion that had erased all of Piper's demigod secrets from his memory. But he could still tell when she was upset, and she was pretty sure her dad had encouraged Coach to look out for her. She shouldn't draw her blade. It would only make her feel worse. Finally, the temptation was too great. She unsheathed Catopterus. It didn't look very special. This was a triangular blade with an unadorned hilt, but, had been, but it had once been owned by Helen of Troy. The dagger's name meant looking glass. Piper gazed at the bronze blade. At first, she saw only a reflection. Then light rippled across the metal. She saw a crowd of Roman demigods gathered in the forum. The blonde, scarecrow-looking kid, Octavian, was speaking to the mob, shaking his fist. Piper couldn't hear him, but the gist was obvious. We need to kill those Greeks. Reyna the Praetor stood to one side, her face tight with suppressed emotion. Bitterness? Anger? Piper wasn't sure. She'd been prepared to hate Reyna, but she couldn't. During the Feast in the Forum, Piper had admired the way Reyna kept her feelings in check. Reyna had sized up Piper and Jason's relationship right away. As a daughter of Aphrodite, Piper could still tell stuff like that. Yet Reyna had stayed polite and in control. She put her camp's needs ahead of her emotions. She'd given the Greeks a fair chance, right up until the Argo II had started destroying her city. She'd almost made Piper feel guilty about being Jason's girlfriend. Though, that was silly. Jason had ever, had, hadn't ever been Reyna's boyfriend. Not really. Maybe Reyna wasn't so bad, but it didn't matter now. They messed up the chance for peace. Piper's power of sw- persuasion had, for once, done absolutely no good. Her secret fear? Maybe she, didn't have, she hadn't tried hard enough. Piper had never wanted to make friends with the Romans. She was too worried about losing Jason to his old life. Maybe unconsciously she hadn't put her best effort into the charm speak. Now Jason was hurt. The ship had been almost destroyed, and according to her dagger, that crazy teddy bear strangling kid, Octavian, was whipping the Romans into a war frenzy. The scene in her blade shifted. There was a rapid series of images she'd seen before, But she still didn't understand them. Jason riding into battle on horseback, his eyes gold instead of blue, a woman in an old-fashioned southern bell dress, standing in an oceanside park with palm trees, a bull with the face of a bearded man, rising out of a river, and two giants in matching yellow togas, hoisting a rope on a pulley system, lifting a large bronze vase out of a pit. Then came the worst vision. She saw herself with Jason and Percy, standing waist-deep in water at the bottom of a dark circular chamber, like a giant well. Ghostly shapes moved through the water as it rose rapidly. Piper clawed at the walls, trying to escape, but there was nowhere to go. The water reached their chests. Jason was pulled under. Percy stumbled and disappeared. How could a child of the sea god drown? Piper didn't know but she watched herself in the vision, alone and thrashing in the dark, until the water rose above her head. Piper shut her eyes. "'Don't show me that again,' she She pleaded. "'Show me something helpful.' She forced herself to look at the blade again. This time, she saw an empty highway cutting between fields of wheat and sunflowers. A mileage marker read, "'Topeka, or Topeka, 32.' On the shoulder of the road stood a man in cocky shorts and a purple camp shirt. His face was lost in the shadows of a broad hat. The brim wreathed in leafy vines. He held up a silver, silver goblet and beckoned to Piper. Somehow she knew he was offering her some sort of gift. A cure. Or an antidote. Hey, Jason croaked. Piper was so startled she dropped the knife. You're awake! <clears throat> Don't sound so surprised. <laughs> Jason touched his bandage for her head and frowned. What? What happened? I remember the explosions and... Do you remember who I am? Jason tried to laugh, but it turned into a pain of painful wince. Last time I checked, you were my awesome girlfriend, Piper. Unless something has changed since I was out? Piper was so relieved, she almost sobbed. She helped him sit up and gave him some nectar to sip while she brought him up to speed. She was just explaining Leo's plan to fix the ship when she heard her horse hooves clomping across the deck over their heads. Moments later, Leo and Hazel stumbled to a stop in the doorway, carrying a large sheet of hammered bronze between them. Gods of Olympus, Piper stared at Leo. What happened to you? His hair was greased back, he had welding goggles on his forehead, a lipstick mark on his cheek, tattoos all over his arms, and a t-shirt that read Hot Stuff, Bad Boy, and Team Leo. Long story, he said. Others back? Not yet, Piper said. Leo cursed, then he noticed Jason sitting up and his face brightened. Hey man, glad you're better. I'll be in the engine room. He ran off with a sheet of bronze, leaving Hazel in the doorway. Hyper raised an eyebrow at her. Team Leo. We met Narcissus, Hazel said, which didn't really explain much. Also Nemesis, the revenge goddess. Jason sighed. Sigh. I miss all the fun. When the deck above something went thump, as if a heavy creature had landed. Annabeth and Percy came running down the hall. Percy was toting a steaming five-gallon plastic bucket that smelled horrible. Annabeth had a patch of black, sticky stuff in her hair. Percy's shirt was covered in it. Roofing tar? Piper guessed. Frank stumbled up behind them, which made the hallway pretty jam-packed with demigods. Frank had a big smear of the black sludge down his face. Ran into some tar monsters, Annabeth said. Hey, Jason. Glad you're awake. Hazel, where's Leo? She pointed down. Engine room. Suddenly, the entire ship list- listed to port. The demigod stumbled. Percy almost spilled his bucket of tar. Uh, uh, what was that? He demanded. Oh, Hazel looked embarrassed. We may have angered the nymphs who live in this lake. Like, all of them. Great, Percy handed the bucket of tar to Frank and Annabeth. "'You guys help Leo. "'I'll hold off the water spirits as long as I can.' "'On it!' Frank promised. "'The three of them ran off, leaving Hazel at the cabin door. "'The ship listed again, "'and Hazel hugged her stomach like she was going to be sick. "'I'll just... "'She swallowed, pointed weakly down the passageway, and ran off. "'Jason and Piper stayed below as the ship rocked back and forth. "'For a hero, Piper felt pretty useless.' Waves crashed against the hull as angry voices came from above deck. Percy shouting, Coach Hedge yelling at the lake, Festus the figurehead breathed sapphire several times. Down the hall, Hazel moaned miserably in her cabin. In the engine room below, it sounded like Leo and the others were doing an Irish line dance with anvils tied to their feet. After what seemed like hours, the engine began to hum. The oars creaked and groaned, and Piper felt the ship lift into the air. The rocking and shaking stopped. The ship became quiet, except for the drone of machinery. Finally, Leo emerged from the engine room. He was caked in sweat, lime dust, and tar. His t-shirt looked like it had been caught in an escalator and chewed to shreds. The team Leo on his chest now read, Am Leo. But he grinned like a madman and announced that they were safely underway. Meeting in the mess hall, one hour, he said. Crazy day, huh? After everyone had cleaned up, Coach Hedge took the helm and the demigods gathered below for dinner. It was the first time they'd all sat down together, just the seven of them. Maybe their presence should have reassured Piper, but seeing all of them in one place only reminded her that the prophecy of seven was unfolding at last. No more waiting for Leo to finish the ship. No more easy days at Camp Half-Blood, pretending the future was still a long way off. They were underway, with a bunch of angry Romans behind them and the ancient lands ahead. The giants would be would be waiting gaia was rising and unless they succeeded in this quest the world would be destroyed the others must felt it too the tension in the mess hall was like an electrical storm brewing which was totally possible considering percy and jason's powers in an awkward moment the two boys tried to sit in the same chair at the head of the table sparks literally flew from jason's hands after a brief silent standoff like they were both thinking Seriously, dude? They seated the chair to Annabeth and sat at opposite sides of the table. The crew compared notes on what had happened in Salt Lake City, but even Leo's ridiculous story about how he tricked Narcissus wasn't enough to cheer up the group. So, where to now? Leo asked with a mouthful of pizza. I did a quick repair job to get us out of the lake. But there's a lot of damage we should really put down again and fix things right before we head across the Atlantic. Percy was eating a piece of pie, which for some reason was completely blue. Filling. Crust. Even the whipped cream. We need to put some distance between us and Jupiter, he said. Frank spotted some eagles over Salt Lake City. We can't figure out the Romans aren't far behind us. That didn't improve the mood around the table. Piper didn't want to say anything, but she felt obliged and a little guilty. I don't suppose we should go back and try to reason with the Romans? Maybe, maybe I didn't try hard enough with the charm speak. Jason took her hand. It wasn't your fault, Pipes. Or Leo's. He added quickly. Whatever happened, it was Gaius doing, to drive the two camps apart. Piper was grateful for his support, but she still felt uneasy. Maybe if we could explain that, though. With no proof, Enabit said, and no idea what really happened. I appreciate what you're saying, Piper, but I don't want the Romans on our bad side. But until we understand what Gaia's up to, going back is suicide. She's right, Hazel Hazel said. She still looked a little queasy from seasickness, but she was trying to eat a few saltine crackers. The rim of her plate was embedded with rubies, and Piper was pretty sure they hadn't been there at the beginning of the meal. Reyna might listen, but Octavian won't. The Romans have honor to, to think about. They've been attacked. They'll shoot first and ask questions. Postech. Piper stared at her own dinner. The magical plates could conjure up a great selection of vegetarian stuff. She especially liked the avocado and grilled pepper quesadilla, but tonight she didn't have much of an appetite. She thought about the vision she'd seen in her knife. Jason with golden eyes, the bull with the human head, the two giants in yellow togas hoisting a bronze jar from a pit. Worst of all, she remembered herself drowning in black water. Piper had always liked the water. She had good memories of surfing with her dad. But since she'd started seeing that vision in Catopterus, she'd been thinking more and more of an old Cherokee story her granddad used to tell to keep her away from the river near his cabin. He told her the Cherokees believed in good water spirits, like the naiads of the Greeks, but they also believed in evil water spirits, the water cannibals, who hunted mortals with invisible arrows and were especially found fond of drowning small children. "You're right," she decided. We have to keep going, not just because of the Romans, we have to hurry." Hazel nodded. Nemesis said we only have six days until Nico dies and Rome is destroyed." Jason frowned. You mean Rome, Rome, not New Rome? I think, Hazel said. But if so, that's not much time. Why six days, Percy wondered. And how are they going to destroy Rome? No one answered. Piper didn't want to add further bad news, but she felt she had to. There's more, she said. I've been seeing things some things with my knife. The big kid, Frank, froze with a fork full of spaghetti halfway to his mouth. Things such as... They don't really make sense, Piper said. Just garbled images, but I saw two giants dressed alike. Maybe twins. Annabeth stared at the magical video feed from Camp Half-Blood on the wall. Right now, it showed the living room in the big house. A cozy fire on the hearth and Seymour, the stuffed leopard head, snored contentedly above the mantel. Twins, like in Ella's prophecy, Annabeth said. If we could figure out those lines, it might help. Wisdom's daughter walks alone, Percy said. The mark of Athena burns through Rome. Annabeth, that's got to mean you. Juno told me, well, she said you had a hard task ahead of you in Rome. She said she doubted you could do it, but I know she's wrong. Annabeth took a long breath. Reyna was about to tell me something right before the ship fired on us. She said there was an old legend among the Roman praetors, something that had to do with Athena. She said it might be the reason Greeks and Romans could never get along. Leo and Hazel exchanged nervous looks. Nemesis mentions something similar, Leo said. She talked about an old score that had to be settled. The one thing that might bring the gods' two natures into harmony, Hazel recalled. An old wrong finally avenged. Percy drew a frowny face in his blue whipped cream. I was only a praetor for about two hours. Jason, you ever hear a legend like that? Jason was still holding Piper's hand. His fingers had turned clammy. I not sure, he said. I'll give it some t- I'll give it some thought. Percy narrowed his eyes. You're not sure? Jason didn't respond. Piper wanted to ask him what was wrong. She could tell he didn't want to discuss this old legend. She caught his eye and he pleaded silently. Later. Hazel broke the silence. W- what about the other lines? She turned a ruby and crusted plate. Twins snuff out the angel's breath, who holds the key to endless death. Giant's bane stands golden pale, Frank added. one through pain from a woven jail. Giant's bane? Leo said, "Anything that's a giant's bane is good for us, right? That that's probably what we need to find. If it can help the gods get their schizophrenic act together, that's good." Percy nodded. "We can't kill the giants without the help of the gods." Jason turned to Frank and Hazel. "I thought you guys killed that one giant in Alaska without a god's help. Just the two of you?" "Allseonius was a special case," Frank said. He was only immortal in the territory where he was reborn, Alaska, but not in Canada. I wish I could kill all the giants by dragging them across the border from Alaska into Canada, but, he shrugged, Percy's right, we'll need the gods. Piper gazed at the walls. She really wished Leo hadn't enchanted them with images of Camp half It was like a doorway to home that she could never go through. She watched the hearth of Hestia burning in the middle of the green, as the cabins turned off their lights for curfew. She wondered how the Roman demigods, Frank and Hazel, felt about those images. They'd never even been to Camp Half-Blood. Did it seem alien to them, or unfair that Camp Jupiter wasn't represented? Did it make them miss their own home? The other lines of the prophecy turned in Piper's mind. What was a woven jail? How could twins snuff out an angel's breath? The key to Endless Death didn't sound very cheerful either. So, Leo said. Leo pushed his chair away from the table. First things first, I guess we'll have to put down in the morning to finish repairs. Someplace close to, the, to a city, Annabeth suggested. In case we need supplies. But somewhere out of the way so the Romans will have trouble finding us. Any ideas? No one spoke. Piper remembered her vision in the knife. The strange man in purple holding out a goblet and beckoning to her. He'd been standing in front of a sign that read Topeka, 32. Well, she ventured. How do you guys feel about Kansas? And that's the end of chapter 9. So now we've also, we've uncovered another Crucial, important piece of information. Just like how Percy had the ability to be some kind of omniscient viewer in his dreams, where he was able to see like what was happening in other parts of areas uh, which are not even close to him. And I think that's also another way how. Remember how it probably substantially helped Camp Halfblood and overall the entire camp and the gods against defeating Kronos because. Percy's dreams were able to be an omniscient viewer to when Kronos was discussing his plans, which I think is we're trying we're starting to see another kind of pattern emerge with Piper with her knife, which is seeming to have also prophecies, future, uh, futuristic um, events, as well as just being omniscient overall. So I think. This blade, in general, has definitely a lot of more power than what Percy's dreams hold, because remember, Percy's dreams, most of the time were only omniscient about what was happening in the present and what was happening around him. The differences between Pipers is that she can accomplish what Piper what Percy's dreams can do, and her knife can see into the future, which I think is very crucial and an extremely important part, but we're gonna need to Piper to possibly be transparent with what she sees in that knife, because that could be very valuable knowledge in guaranteeing the success of this group. But we'll have to see what decisions Piper comes up with, and how the rest of this journey fares out when we come back from the non-existent ads to read chapter 10. So see you then. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 10, Piper. Piper had trouble falling asleep. Coach Hedge spent the first hour after curfew doing his nightly duty, walking up and down the passageway yelling, lights out, settle down, try to sneak out and I'll smack you back to Long Island. He banged his baseball bat against the cabin door whenever he heard a noise, shouting at everyone to go to sleep, which made it impossible for anyone to go to sleep. Piper figured this was the most fun the satyr had had since he pretended to be a gym teacher at the mm-hmm. wilderness school. He stared at the bronze, She stared at the bronze beams on the ceiling. Her cabin was pretty cozy. Leo had programmed their quarters to adjust automatically to the occupant's preferred temperature, so it was never too cold or too hot. The mattress and the pillows were stuffed with the Pegasus down. No Pegasi were harmed in the making of these products, Leo had assured her. So they were uber comfortable. A bronze lantern hung from the ceiling, glowing at whatever brightness Piper wished. The lantern's sides were perforated with pinholes, so at night, glimmering constellations drifted across her walls. Piper had so many things on her mind, she thought she'd never sleep. But there was something peaceful about the rocking of the boat and the drone of the aerial oars as they scooped through the sky. Finally, her eyelids got heavy, and she drifted off. It seemed like only a few seconds had passed before she woke to the breakfast bell. Yo, Piper! Leo knocked on the door. We're landing! Landing? She sat up groggily. Leo opened her door and poked his head in. He had his hand over his eyes, which would have been a nice gesture if he hadn't been peeking through his fingers. You decent? Leo! Sorry, he grinned. Hey, nice Power Ranger jammies. They are not Power Rangers. They're Cherokee eagles. Yeah, sure. Anyway, we're setting down a few miles outside Topeka, as requested. And, um, glanced out in the passageway, then leaned inside again. Thanks for not hating me uh, about blowing up the Romans yesterday. Piper rubbed her eyes. The feast in New Rome had only been yesterday. That's okay, Leo. You weren't in control of yourself. Yeah, but still, you didn't have to stick up for me. Are you kidding? You're like the annoying little brother I've never had. Of course, I'll stick up for you. Oh, uh, thanks? From above, Coach Hedge yelled, "Dar she blows! Kansas, ahoy! Holy Hephaestus, Leo muttered. He really needs to work on his ship speak. I'd better get above deck. By the time Piper had showered, changed, and grabbed a bagel from the mess hall, she could hear the ship's landing gear extending. She climbed on deck and joined the others as the Argo II settled in the middle of the field of sunflowers. The oars retracted. The gangplank lowered itself. The morning air smelled of irrigation, warm plants, and fertilized earth. Not a bad smell. It reminded Piper of Grandpa Tom's place in Tolika, Oklahoma. Back on the reservation. Percy was the first to notice her. He smiled in greeting, which, for some reason, surprised Piper. He was wearing faded jeans and a fresh orange Camp half lead t-shirt, as if he'd never been away from the Greek side. The new clothes had probably helped his mood, and, of course, the fact that he was standing at the trail with his arm around Annabeth. Piper was happy to see Annabeth with a sparkle in her eyes, because Piper had never been a better friend, had never had a better friend. For months, Annabeth had been tormenting herself, her every waking moment consumed with the search for Percy. Now, despite the dangerous quest they were facing, at least she had her boyfriend back. So, Annabeth plucked the bagel out of Piper's hand and took a bite, but that didn't bother Piper. Back at camp, they had a running joke about stealing each other's breakfast. Here we are. What's the plan? I want to check out the highway, Piper said find the sign that says Topeka 32. Leo spun his Wii controller in a circle and the shales- sails lowered them- themselves. We shouldn't be far, he said. Festus and I calculated the landing as best as we-, as we could. What do you expect to find at the mile marker? Piper explained what she'd seen in the knife, a man in purple with a goblet. She kept quiet about the other images though, like the vision of Percy, Jason, and herself drowning. She wasn't sure what it meant, anyway, and everyone seemed in such better spirits this morning. She didn't want to ruin the mood. Purple shirt? Jason asked. Vines on this hat? Sounds like sounds like Bacchus. Bacchus. Dionysus? Dionysus, Percy muttered. If we came all the way to Kansas to see Mr. D, Bacchus isn't so bad, Jason said. I don't like his followers much. Piper shuddered. Jason, Leo, and she had had an encounter with the Maynads a few months ago and almost got torn to pieces. "'But the god himself is okay,' Jason continued. "'I did him a favor once upon in the wine wine country.'" Percy looked appalled. "'Whatever, man. Maybe he's better on the Roman side, but why would he be hanging around in Kansas? Didn't Zeus order the gods to seize all contact with mortals?' Frank grunted. "'The big guy was wearing a blue tracksuit this morning.'" Like he was ready to go for a jog in the sunflowers. Thank God, the gods haven't been very good at following that order. He noted. Besides, if the gods have got gone schizophrenic, like Hazel said, and Leo said, added Leo. Frank scowled at him. Then who knows? Then who knows what's going on with the Olympians? Could be some pretty bad stuff out there. Sounds dangerous. Leo agreed cheerfully. Well. You guys have fun. I've got to finish repairs on the hall. Coach Hedge is going to work on the broken crossbows, and uh, Annabeth, uh, I could really use your help. You're the only person, you're the only other person who even sort of understands engineering. Annabeth looked apologetically at Percy. He's right. I should stay and help. I'll come back to you. He kissed her on the cheek. Promise. They were so easy together, it made Piper's heart ache. Jason was great, of course, but sometimes he acted so distant, like last night, when he'd been reluctant to talk about that old Roman legend. So often he seemed to be thinking of his old life at Camp Jupiter. Piper wondered if she would ever be able to break through that barrier. The trip to Camp Jupiter, seeing Reyna in person, hadn't helped either. Neither did the fact that Jason had chosen to wear a purple shirt today, the color of the Romans. Frank slid his bill off his shoulder and propped it against the rail. I think I should sh- turn into a crow or something and fly around. Keep an eye out for a moment, eagles. Why a crow? Leo asked. Man, if you can turn into a dragon, why don't you just turn into a dragon every time? That's the coolest. Frank's face looked like it was being infused with cranberry juice. That's like asking why you don't bench press your maximum weight every time you lift. Because it's hard. And you'd hurt yourself. Turning into a dragon isn't easy. Oh, Leo nodded. I wouldn't know. I don't lift weights. Yeah, well, maybe you should consider Mr. Hazel stepped between them. I'll help you, Frank. She said, shooting Leo an evil look. I can summon Arian and scout around below. Sure, Frank said, still glaring at Leo. Yeah, thanks. Piper wondered what was going on with those three. The boys showing off for Hazel and razzing off each other. That, she understood. But it almost seemed like Hazel and Leo had history. So far as she knew, they'd met for the first time just yesterday. She wondered if something else had happened on their trip to this great salt lake. Something they hadn't mentioned. Hazel turned to Percy. Just be careful when you go out there. Lots of fields, lots of crops. Could be carpoy on the loose. Carpoy? Piper asked grain spirits hazel said you don't want to meet them piper didn't see how a grain spirit could be so bad but hazel's tone convinced her not to ask that leads three of us to check on the mile marker percy said me jason piper i'm not psyched about seeing mr d again that guy's a pain but jason if you're on better terms with him yeah jason said if we find him i'll talk to him piper it's your vision you should take the lead Piper shivered. She'd seen the three of them drowning in that dark well. Was Kansas where it would happen? That didn't seem right, but she couldn't be sure. Of course, she said, trying to sound upbeat. Let's find the highway. Leo had said they were close. His idea of close needed some work. After trudging half a mile through hot fields, getting bitten by mosquitoes and whacked in the face with scratchy sunflowers, they finally reached the road. An old billboard for Bubba's Gas and Grub indicated that they were still 40 miles from the first Topeka exit. "'Correct my math,' Percy said, "'but doesn't that mean we have eight miles to walk?' Jason peered both ways down the deserted road. He looked better today, thanks to the magical healing of ambrosia and nectar. His color was back to normal, and the scar on his forehead had almost vanished. The new gladius that Hera had given him last winter hung at his belt— most guys would look pretty awkward walking around with scabbard strapped to their jeans, but on Jason, it seemed perfectly natural. No cars, he said, but I guess we wouldn't want to hitchhike. No, Pepper agreed, gazing nervously down the highway. We've already spent too much time going overland. The earth is Gaia's territory. Hmm, Jason snapped his fingers. I could call a friend for a ride. Percy raised his eyebrows. Oh yeah? Me too. Let's see whose friend gets here first. Jason whistled. Piper knew what he was doing, but he succeeded in summoning Tempest only three times since they'd met the storm spirit at the Wolf House last winter. Today, the sky was so blue, Piper didn't see how it could work. Percy simply closed his eyes and concentrated. Piper hadn't studied him up close before. After seeing so much, hearing so much about Camp Half-Blood about Percy Jackson, this and Percy Jackson that she thought he looked well unimpressive especially next to Jason Percy was more slender about an inch shorter with slightly longer much darker hair he wasn't really Piper's type if she'd seen him in the mall somewhere she'd probably think he was a skater cute in a scruffy way a little on the wild side definitely a troublemaker she would have steered clear she had enough trouble in her life But she could see why Annabeth liked him. And she could definitely see why Percy needed Annabeth in his life. If anybody could keep a guy like that under control, it was Annabeth. Thunder crackled in the clear sky. Jason smiled. Soon. Too late, Percy pointed east, where a black winged shape was spiraling towards them. At first, Piper thought it might be Frank in crow form. Then she realized it was too big to be a bird. A black pegasus? She said, never seen one like that. The winged stallion came in for a landing. He trotted over to Percy and nuzzled his face, then turned his head inquisitively toward Piper and Jason. Blackjack, Percy said. This is Piper and Jason. They're friends. The horse snickered. Uh, maybe later, Percy answered. Piper had heard that Percy could speak to horses, being the son of the horse lord Poseidon, but she'd never seen it in action. What does Blackjack want? She asked. Donuts, Percy said. Always donuts. He can carry all three of us if... Suddenly, the air turned cold. Piper's ears popped. About 50 Maya yards away, a miniature cyclone three stories tall tore across the tops of the sunflowers like a scene from The Wizard of Oz. It touched down on the road next to Jason and took the form of a horse, a misty steed with lightning flickering through its body. Tempest, Jason said, grinning broadly. Long time, my friend. The storm spirit reared and whinnied. Blackjack backed up skittishly. Easy, boy, Percy said. He's a friend, too. He gave Jason an impressed look. Nice ride, Grace. Jason shrugged. I made friends with him during our fight at the wolf house. He's a free spirit, literally. But once in a while, he agrees to help me. Percy and Jason climbed on their respective horses. Piper had never been comfortable with Tempest. Riding full gallop on a beast that could vaporize at any moment made her a bit nervous. Nevertheless, she accepted Jason's hand and climbed on. Tempest raced down the road with blackjack soaring overhead. Fortunately, they didn't pass any cars or they might have cars a wreck. In no time, they arrived at the 32-mile marker, which looked exactly as Piper had seen in her vision. Blackjack landed. Both horses pawed the asphalt. Neither looked pretty pleased to have stopped so suddenly, just when they found their stride. Blackjack whinnied. You're right, Percy said. No sign of the wine, dude. I beg your pardon," said a voice from the fields. Tempest turned so quickly, Piper almost fell off. The wheat parted, and the man from revision stepped into view. He wore a wide-brimmed hat wreathed in grapevines, a purple short-sleeved shirt, khaki shorts, and Birkenstocks with white socks. He looked maybe 30 with a slight pot belly, like a frat boy who hadn't yet realized college was over. Did someone just call me the wine dude? He asked in a lazy drawl. It's Bacchus, please, or Mr. Bacchus, or Lord Bacchus, or sometimes, oh my gods, please don't kill me, Lord Bacchus. I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Percy urged Blackjack forward though the Pegasus didn't seem happy about it. You look different, Percy told the god. Skinnier, your hair's longer, and your shirt isn't so loud. The wine god squinted up at him. What in blazes are you talking about? Who are you, and where's Ceres? Uh, what Ceres? I think he meant Ceres, Jason said. The goddess of agriculture? You'd call her Demeter. He nodded respectfully to the god. Lord Bacchus, do you remember me? I helped you with that missing leopard in Sonoma. Bacchus scratched his stubbly chin. Ah, yes. John Green. Jason Grace. Whatever, the gods said. Did Ceres send you then? No, Lord Bacchus. Jason said. Bacchus? Bacchus. 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 Jason said. Were you expecting to meet her here? The god snorted. (sighs) Well, I didn't come to Kansas to party, my boy. Ceres asked me to ask me here for a council of war. What, with Gaia rising, the crops are withering, droughts are spreading, the carpoi are in revolt, even my grapes aren't safe. Ceres wanted a united front in the plant war. The plant war, Percy said. You're going to arm all the little grapes with tiny assault rifles. The god narrowed his eyes. Have we met at Camp Half-Blood, Percy said. I know you as Mr. D. Dionysus. Ah! Bacchus winced and pressed his hands to his temples. For a moment, his image flickered. Piper saw a different person, fatter, dumpier, in a much louder leopard-patterned shirt. Then Bacchus returned to being Bacchus. Stop that, he demanded. Stop thinking about me in Greek! Percy blinked. Uh... But do you have any idea how hard it is to stay focused? Splitting headaches all the time. I never know what I'm doing or where I'm going. Constantly grumpy. That sounds pretty normal for you. The the god's nostrils flared. One of the grape leaves on his hat burst into flame. If we know each other from that other camp, it's a wonder I haven't already turned you into a dolphin. It was discussed. Percy assured him. I think you were just too lazy to do it. Piper had been watching with horrified fascination. The way she might watch a car wreck in progress. Now she realized Percy was not making things better. And Annabeth wasn't around to rein him in. Piper figured her friend would never forgive her if she brought Percy back transformed into a sea mammal. Lord Bacchus, she interrupted, slipping off Tempest's back. Piper, careful, Jason said. She shot him a warning glance. I've got this. Sorry to trouble you, my lord, she told a god. But actually, we came here to get your advice. Please, we need your wisdom. She used her most her most agreeable tone, pouring respect into her charm speak. The god frowned, but the purple glow faded into in his eyes. You're a well-spoken girl. Advice, eh? Very well. I would avoid karaoke, really, theme parties in general are out. In these austere times, people are looking for a simple, low key affair with locally produced organic snacks and not about parties, Piper interrupted. Although that's incredibly useful advice, Lord Bacchus, we were hoping you he would help us on our quest. She explained about the Argo II and their voyage to stop the giants from awakening Gaia. She told him what Nemesis had said, that in six days, Rome would be destroyed. She described the vision reflected in her knife, where Bacchus offered her a silver goblet. Silver goblet? The god didn't sound very excited. He grabbed a dyed Pepsi from nowhere and popped the top of the can. You drink Diet Coke, Percy said. I don't know what you're talking about, Bacchus said, snapped. As to this vision of the goblet, young lady, I have nothing for you to drink unless you want a Pepsi. Jupiter's put me under strict orders to avoid giving wine to minors. Bothersome, but there you have it. As for the giants, I know them well. Fought in the first giant war, you know. You can fight? Percy asked. Piper wished he hadn't sounded so incredulous. Dionysus snarled. His dyed Pepsi transformed into a five-foot staff, wreathed in ivy topped with a pine cone. A, th- a theresis, Hyper said, hoping to distract the god before he whacked Percy on the head. She'd seen weapons like that before in the hands of crazy nymphs and wasn't thrilled to see one again, but she tried to sound impressed. Oh, what a mighty weapon. Indeed, Bacchus agreed. I'm glad someone in your group is smart. The pine cone is a fearsome tool of destruction. I was a demigod myself in the first giant war, you know, the son of Jupiter. Jason flinched. Probably he wasn't thrilled to be reminded that the wine dude was tec- technically his big brother. Bacchus swung his staff through the air, though his belly almost threw him off balance. Of course, that was long before I invented wine and became an immortal. I fought side by side with the gods and some other. Heracles, I think. Heracles? Hyper suggested politely. Whatever, Bacchus had just said. Anyway, I killed the giant, Ephialtis, and his brother, Otis. Horrible boars, those two. Pinecone in the face for both of them. Piper held her breath all at once. Several ideas came together in her head. The visions and the knives, the lines of the prophecy they'd been discussing the night before. She felt like she used to when she was scuba diving with her father, and he would wipe her mask for her underwater. Suddenly, everything was clear. Lord Bacchus... She said, trying to control the nervousness in her voice. Those two giants, Ephialtus and Otis, would they happen to be twins? Hmm? The god seemed distracted by his... Thyrusses. Thyrus's? Swinging, but he nodded. Yes, twins, that's right. Piper turned to Jason. She could tell he was following her thoughts. Twins snuff out the angel's breath. In the Blade of Catopterus, she'd seen two giants in yellow robes, lifting a jar from a deep pit. That's why we're here, Piper told the god. You're part of our quest! Bacchus frowned. I'm sorry, my girl. I'm not a demigod anymore. I don't do quests. But giants can only be killed by heroes and gods working together, she insisted. You're God now, and the two giants we have to fight are Ephialtes and Otis. I think. I think they're waiting for us in Rome. They're going to destroy the city somehow. The silver goblet I saw in my vision, maybe it's meant as a symbol for your help. You have to help us kill the giants. Bacchus glared at her, and Piper realized she'd chosen her words poorly. My girl, he said coldly. I don't have to do anything. Besides, I only help those who give me proper tribute, which no one has managed to do in many, many centuries. Blackjack whinnied uneasily. Piper couldn't blame him. She didn't like the sound of tribute. She remembered the, maiden, ba- the main ads, the crazed followers or Bacchus, who would tear up non-believers with their bare hands. And that was when they were in a good mood. Percy voiced the question that she was too scared to ask. What kind of tribute? Bacchus waved his hand dismissively. Nothing you could handle, Insolent Greek. But I will give you some free advice, since this girl does have some manners. Seek out Gaia's son, Porcius. He always hated his mother. Not that I can blame him. He didn't have much use for his siblings, the twins, either. You'll find him in the city they named after that heroine. Atalanta? Piper hesitated. You mean Atlanta? That's the one. But this Four Jason said. Is he a giant? A titan? Bacchus laughed. Neither. Seek out the salt water. Salt water, Percy said. In Atlanta? Yes, Bacchus said. Are you hard of hearing? If anyone can give you insight on Gaia and Twins, it's Four Just watch out for him what do you mean Jason asked the god glanced at the sun which had climbed almost to high noon it's unlike Ceres to be late unless she seems something dangerous in the in this area or the god's face suddenly went slack or a trap well I must be going and if I were you I'd do the same Lord Bacchus wait Jason protested but you no Bacchus The god shimmered and disappeared with a sound like a soda can top being popped. The wind rustled through the sunflowers. The horses paced in agitation. Despite the dry, hot day, Piper shivered. A cold feeling. Animus and Leo had both described a cold feeling. Bacchus is right, she said. We need to leave. Too late, said a sleepy voice, humming through the fields all around them and resonating in the ground at Piper's feet. Percy and Jason drew their swords. Piper stood on the road between them, frozen with fear. The power of Gaia was suddenly everywhere. The sunflowers turned to look at them. The wheat bent toward them like a million sights. Welcome to my party, Gaia murmured. Her voice reminded Piper of corn growing, a crackling, hissing, hot, and persistent noise she used to hear at Grandpa Tom's on those quiet nights in Oklahoma. What did Baca say? The goddess mocked. A simple, low-key affair with organic snacks? Yes. For my snacks, I need only two. The blood of a female demigod and the blood of a male. Piper, my dear. Choose which hero will die with you. Gaia! Jason yelled. Stop hiding in the wheat. Show yourself. Such bravado, Gaia hissed. But the other one... Percy Jackson also has appeal. Choose Piper McLean or I will. Piper's heart raced. Gaia meant to kill her. That was no surprise. But what was this about choosing one of the boys? Why would Gaia let either of them go? It had to be a trap. You're insane, she shouted. I'm not choosing anything for you. Suddenly, Jason gasped. He sat up straight in his saddle. Jason? Piper cried. What's wrong? He looked down at her, his expression deadly calm. His eyes were no longer blue. They glowed solid gold. Percy helped! Piper stumbled back from the tempest. But Percy galloped away from them. He stopped thirty feet down the road and wheeled his pegasus around. He raised his sword and pointed the tip toward Jason. One will die, Percy said, but the voice wasn't his. It was deep and hollow, like someone whispering from inside the barrel of a cannon. I will choose, Jason answered, in the same hollow voice. No! Piper yelled. All around her the fields crackled and hissed, laughing in gay voice as Percy and Jason charged at each other, their weapons ready. And that's the end of chapter 10. Well, that was certainly a very fascinating and quick turn of events, I must say. We went from a very interesting conversation with the Roman version of Dionysus, and just seeing his overall personality, it kind of does, I think it's more, it's better understood how different being Greek and Roman changed the gods' personalities. Like, even the slightest of things, like, Dionysus would drink, um, you know, dyed Coke, but the Roman version, Bacchus, would drink dyed Pepsi. So, like, those tiny little things are, like, kind of showing how different the personalities are when the gods are in either their Roman form or in their Greek form, which is pretty interesting, I must point out. And now Gaia has come back to incite another type of trouble into the lives of the demigods. But hopefully they'll be able to get out of this, so next week we will continue reading to see how exactly this battle may fare out, whether both of them will come out surviving, whether Hazel, sorry, not Hazel, Piper, will come out with doing something that wasn't expected before we'll have to see what happens in this um hypnotizing battle between percy and jason but um other than that if you guys enjoyed this podcast if you guys enjoyed this episode um stay tuned until next week and if you guys really enjoy the podcast and would like to support me on patreon there is a link to the patreon in the bio or description of my podcast so be sure to check that out. It is totally optional. You, you don't have to do it, but it would be greatly appreciated if you would be able to. But other than that, thanks thank you guys for listening. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.